As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Plenty of goals in this World Cup have come from some of its brightest stars, Mbappe, Messi and Neymar. But what of the traditional number nine, the likes of Olivier Giroud? Harry Kane, or those from bygone World Cups like Gert Muller, Gary Lineker and Toto Scalacci, if you're really that old. Are these types of players dying out or has the game and the number nine simply evolved into something completely different? I'm Adam Leventhal and this is The Athletic Football Podcast. So we are back, poolside at Shea Horncastle and Honigstein. And I'm pleased to say James and Rafa are with us. We're not just uh, here by their pool without permission. Uh, Jack Pitbrook is here as well, uh, our England writer. Just very quickly, from your point of view, James, you were watching Brazil last night. Impressive once again, weren't they? They were. It felt like it was overdue, that they hadn't played that well all tournament, maybe the second half of the first game against Serbia. Um, And sections of the Brazilian press pack were getting a bit twitchy because they weren't scoring many goals. They were not taking their chances, but they kind of take all their chances uh, against South Korea. Some beautiful goals. Yeah, I think a lot of people felt that they have finally arrived at the tournament. One of the kind of finest performances in terms of skill and technique that I've seen, I think any of us have seen at the tournament so far. Was it like watching Brazil? (laughs) (laughs) It was the full Brazilian. uh, (laughs) Wow. Um, Richarlison obviously played, scored. Um, I suppose, you know, moving us on to this debate about number nines, he is sort of a, 
a number nine, but not really a, a number nine. What box do you put him in? Well, uh, Chi-Chi says he smells of goals. Um, so, you know, I mean... Is that the thing? That's the thing. If, pe- if people are scoring look, goals, it's almost as if, right, we have to put him in a box of I mean, number nine-edness. That's, that's a nine for me. Um, I mean, he has been playing centrally for, for Brazil um, over the last year. He's really made the number nine his kind of position to lose. I mean, he did start playing for Brazil out wide um, and has, has gradually come inside. Um, but he does everything that you kind of want from a number nine. I mean, he, he makes those runs in behind that can stretch defences. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you look at his first goal of the tournament, it's a tap-in. Um, just a poacher's goal um, running onto a, a kind of spilled shot by the goalkeeper, Vanya Milinkovic-Savic. Um, so, you know, I think he can do a bit of everything. Um, now, even in the air, I mean, his kind of heading skills were shown in a different light, I suppose, for his goal uh, against South Korea, where it was very much like the seal dribble from uh, from Kurlon. Um But, yeah, I think he's, he's fully shown that. He can, he can almost be an orthodox number nine. I think he's so looking forward to coming back and toiling that channel for Harry Kane <laughs> at Spurs, touching the ball five times again. <laughs> we, but prior to um, this episode, we were here once before with Rafa. He was, in a, he was in a bit of a grumpy mood after Germany's sort of performances. Mm-hmm. Now he's in a, I'm going home soon, I'm going to be combative mood, <laughs> which I like. This is a, this is a different Rafa. Yeah. Jack, let's bring you in on this and I will come back to Rafa in a moment. Um, on the number nine what is a number nine for you i think it's probably someone who plays down the middle of the pitch i think obviously traditionally that's where most goals were scored from the the reason why i think it's most interesting now is that increasingly you find both the pace in a team and also the goals in the team coming from positions either side of the number nine so I think that's one of the big developments we've seen over the last, let's say, 10, 15 years has been your number nine will no longer be your main goal, as in the man who plays in the middle, man or woman who plays in the middle of the pitch will no longer be your main goal scorer because you'll have, I don't know, Son or Mane or Salah or Bale or Ronaldo or whoever playing slightly to the side of them and they'll be the ones providing the pace for the goals. But the number nine is still the player who plays through the centre even though maybe they're not the, the main threat anymore. Rafa, from your point of view, this debate about what a number nine is, is it very difficult to define it now? Or, or like Jack has just said there, is it simply the area that they occupy rather than what they look like and their physicality? No, I think it's both. I think you obviously have centre forwards who play through the middle who don't look like a traditional number nine. I think Sergio Aguero is probably the prime example. Yeah. Uh, Timo Werner, when he is on song, he is a number nine that doesn't look like a number nine, doesn't really play like a number nine, but he does play through the middle. But I think the wider point that Jack is making is right. is because these guys in the last few years, starting really with uh, Giroud's performance at 2018, have been almost just there for someone else to do something. Yeah. And now... So, so some coaches have just said, basically, I don't need that guy there because I'd rather put another guy who does actually something on the pitch. And now the pendulum seems to be swinging back 
Um, football is often cyclical. And now I think we're going back into a number nine era uh, for many, many different reasons, but I think mostly because people follow trends and they see the impact of a number nine. And from a German perspective, it's a discussion we've, or debate we've been having for a long time that people are looking for that number nine. And just that little cameo from Niklas Füllkrug in both games scoring goals has been enough, I think, for people to say, okay, it doesn't even matter if we don't have the best striker in the system at that point. It's still better to have someone in the middle rather than no one at all. And Bayern, who often sort of determined the debate in Germany, uh, they're at that same point because... After Lewandowski leaving, there was this feeling that they have so many forwards. It doesn't matter. You can put uh, Sadio Mane through the middle. You can put Serge Gnabry through the middle. And you don't need to have the center forward. But now they've actually found that 32-year-old Eric Maxim Chupomoting is the answer. Even though he wouldn't have been high on the list of pivotal players at the beginning of the season. When you mentioned the words Nicholas and Fulkrug, for people who remember a cartoon, Pepe Le Pew, where the feet lift off the ground, he floats towards a person that he loves with heart-like eyes. That was exactly like Jack Pitt Brook when you just mentioned the name Fulkrug. You fell in love at this World Cup, didn't you, Jack, with that number nine. The, the Germans doing the number nine thing, and what a man. Yeah, so my, um, I'd been warned in advance about Nicholas Fulkrug because my, my brother is a Werder Bremen fan and he'd been talking to me all the way before the World Cup about how much he loved Nicholas Fulkrug and was looking forward to seeing him in the World Cup. Uh, so I'd been kind of forewarned about him. But yeah, I loved him. It was like a throwback. You know, get, get it launched, the big man. No messing around. It's all very well having you know, Kai Havertz and all these talented players like uh, Jamal Musiala. But there's no substitute for uh, you know, a long diagonal ball to the big guy to... To nod it on it was like watching i don't know grant holt steve morrison any of those guys <laughs> I, lo it I loved it agricultural agricultural football. yeah yeah but it, you know agricultural football is in in other words um targeted effective you're not messing around too much you're just getting it into the area where you're actually going to score the position of maximum opportunity is that what we're talking about with a with a a number nine <laughs> you've laughed at me there i want to know why <laughs> pomo yeah yeah um i don't think germany played like that. i don't think most teams who have a number nine at this world cup play like that i don't see many long balls towards richarlison from brazil launching it up to the big guy yeah um but it is more having that guy for the last touch of the game or the last touch of the move i should say and before that, you would try to find ways through the defense, which might be more intricate. But I think somebody made a, made a really good point on Twitter that maybe international football, less time to prepare, less time to gel. It's even more important to have somebody who can just does the basics really well. And the strikers tend, tend to do that, really good strikers. Um, and also to talk about the cyclical effect quite quickly is I think a lot of centre-backs have come used to not marking anyone because they'd be having three or four players in front of them who'd go in and out and you have to be really switched on not to get dragged out too much. Of course, you have to sometimes come out 
and win the challenge, but it's almost more important to keep the line and to make sure no one's behind you. And then suddenly, at least for some, to have that number nine up against you again, you know, in your face, elbows, maybe some of these centre-backs, they're not, they're not used to it. They've forgotten what it's like to have that man-on-man combat. And that's another reason why perhaps, you know, it's become a lot more effective again. Also, to, to pick up on, on that previous point, not playing with a conventional nine is really difficult. Like, it's really, you know, it, it's one thing trying to do that at club football, not having a sort of focal point, which means that you have to get your, your kind of synchronicity and your timings absolutely perfect because all, the thing, all your players are really going to be doing is making clever little runs in behind, particularly if you're up against a low, a low block defence. So you have to be exceptionally good to get, to get the patterns right. And it can, you know, Spain showed in Euro 2012, it can work. But generally speaking, in international football, when you don't have that time to coach the players properly, it is just very difficult. You know, playing a conventional nine is a bit of a shortcut, really. It, it, allows, you to, um, it allows you to do things which you... It allows you to make kind of simpler plans, basically, which are actually probably the more effective ones because you don't have the time to do the complex stuff. I was going to get into it a little bit later, but you've sort of led me down the path of the false nine. And the evolution of that, people associate it, James, with, with Spain in, in 2010. I know Jack will probably chip in with, with something clever in a moment about where it does actually genuinely come from. In terms of how it changed at that World Cup and Spain doing it without a traditional number nine, do you think that that almost feels like quite a long time ago? And that's the reason why we are now seeing a, a conversion back to some more traditional values. I think Spain have a very established style, um, which is still super pass heavy, uh, even to this day. Um, yeah, they've made adaptations in terms of the intensity of their pressing but it often means that there's very kind of little space um, in and around the penalty area for a nine to be effective in um, because they're often playing so high up the pitch um, that the space for someone to operate just isn't there and they rely on those kind of quick combinations to get in behind and also, yeah, sort of late runs. I remember Cesc Fabregas being really kind of important either for Barcelona um, and for Spain because he was one of those people who could do that. Um, but Spain have a number nine. It's just not a number nine that everyone can agree on in Morata. And I mean, Morata is a kind of classic, um, I'll get in behind, I'll probably miss. Um, but, you know, he is and he has been there for a long, long time now a kind of classic number nine. But he, and he looks comfortable in that Spain side rather than necessarily club football that we, maybe in England more so, yeah. associated with success in and, that position. And, and, and Spain in 2010, they still had Llorente to bring off the bench and score diving headers. You know, they, 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 they still had that as an option. Um, so it wasn't as though they completely renounced it. Um, but yeah, I mean... For me, it's kind of curious because I, I always associate this position, its popularity with, with kind of Francesco Totti between 2004, 2010, and then it kind of gradually catching fire around Europe with either Ronaldo, with Messi. Um, but even the kind of 
World Cup winning team that Totti was a part of had like five classic number nines. You know, sort of Luca Toni, Pippo Inzaghi, Jacquinta, um, all players like that. So it's, yeah, it's a lot of the time you're beholden to the generation that you have, let alone kind of trends that are going on in football. Um, you can only play with what you've got. The interesting thing about the Force 9 is the terminology is sometimes a little bit imprecise because initially it would refer to centre-forwards like Totti who don't play as centre-forwards, but it's increasingly become to mean midfielders who play in the middle and they aren't actually, yeah, they're not even a Force 9, they're not just not a 9 at all. It's a no-9 system. If you're thinking of the sort of more classical definition, there is one number nine that is really truly a false nine at this World Cup, and that's Harry Kane. Adam and I were in the, in the taxi having exactly this discussion earlier, and I said that ha Harry Kane is actually the realist false nine here. Like in, term, in the conventional sense of someone, a centre-forward who's always played as a centre-forward, but who in actual fact, he comes deep and runners go beyond him, and then he plays the pass through to the runners. That is really, that, I mean, that's what a false nine's been doing for 70 years of football. And, you know, Roberto Firmino, I suppose, is, I mean, not at this World Cup, but he's a player who has done that specific role. And for me, that is a false nine, whereas, you know, I don't know, Aiden Hazard being played up front, that, uh, that isn't necessarily a false nine in quite the same way. That's, that's, that's a different thing. But people use, those, people use that, say, that, this term to mean two different things. What Jack has done there very cleverly, almost just like tossing a lilo into the pool that is next to us and, and lying down on it very comfortably. That'd be so nice. He just mentioned, he just mentioned, oh, you know, false nine in you know, the last 70 years of football. People are going, whoa, 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 what's going on there? 70 years of football, false nine. I thought this was a, a new idea, Jack. Tell all, please. What are you talking about? As a biased Manchester City <laughs> fan, I have to point to the Revy plan, Aha. which was um, when Manchester City in the mid-1950s used to play Don Revy initially, you know, as a sort of nominal centre forward, and he would drop into midfield to confuse the opposition, which of course is how Manchester City uh, they lost one FA Cup final doing this, and then won one the next year. Although I'm sure other people would say that actually Manchester City just stole it off Hungary, because yeah, of course Hungary like... Hungary had done this when they smashed England at Wembley. But... What goes around comes around. I mean, uh, I'll give him a plug, and he'll 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 thank me for this. But I mean, Jonathan Wilson's famous book mm. football tactics was about inverting the pyramid yeah. and the pyramid has been reinverted back yeah you know we we see teams yeah essentially now in the attacking phase building up in a two three five or something like that where you have five attackers across across the line and you really want to spread and dilate that defense and I think it's one of those things where, in some respects, football hasn't changed. <laughs> it, just, it just goes, as Rafa says, in cycles. And I think that where the changes are, are more often than not in fitness, conditioning, in speed and intensity, in a number of concepts. But fundamentally, we've had a century of hundreds of thousands of different people being coaches and players um, configuring themselves in ways that are that we've kind of seen it's very difficult to invent something new in in football these days
Is it also about the preparedness of, of players to actually go beyond? I know the names have got bigger and the egos have got bigger, but is it almost, and this is maybe in line with sort of the Pep Guardiola feel of a, of a team, everyone has to work for each other. In the past, maybe a number nine would go, well, no, <laughs> sorry, mate, I'm not going over to the wings. This is, this, that's not my job. I'm sticking around. I suppose, you know, you look now in the Premier League, you have the number nine in a new generation. I know he's not at the World Cup, but in, in Erling Haaland, you know, he is classic number nine territory. He, he literally is just there to do that. That's, that's the, the realm we're in now. Is that right? Yeah, it's right, although he has to move a little bit off the ball um, to survive in a Pep Guardiola side. But yeah, I think you're right. It used to be a lot more fragmented. You'd have specialist positions and with specialist roles. And the moment your role is no longer relevant because the ball is on the other side, you would just stop and you see from the 1970s, you see just the pitch being so big because the attackers are on one side, the defenders <laughs> on the other. Yeah, yeah. And you pick up the ball and you can dribble a bit. You can dribble through 60 meters without meeting anyone in between. That's obviously changed because teams are a lot more collective. And that, to go back to your point, I think it's made it harder for pure number nines to exist because if you have to do a lot of running, if you have to do a lot of stuff off the ball, if you then find yourself in very deep positions when you win the ball back, you need to have very different skills to the guy who is just the poacher. Um, if you're just the poacher, just a number nine, and you're defending in your own box and you have the ball, what happens then? Uh, so you need, that, that's where this trend towards more complete players, fewer specialists has come in. But now that we've kind of, we're at the end of that cycle, at least as the centre forwards is concerned, I think that cycle seems to be going back. But it probably won't be long because the moment you'll have num big number nines, then the counter reaction will be big centre backs. <laughs> and then people will say, oh, look at that big centre backs. Let's play these tricky yeah. little players <laughs> who just move around them yeah. and they won't be able to cope. Mm. And then we start again. But I do think it's interesting that teams in this generation, they they can't carry the classic penalty box poacher anymore. The guy who's just there to finish moves. Portugal are trying to. <laughs> <laughs> um, it is a more collective game um, where all p 11 players have to be involved and perform tasks that you know, aren't exclusive to traditional perceptions of their role. Um, so you can't be a striker and just goal hang um, you have to do other things and um, and so yeah we, we, we see fewer and fewer players who are just there to essentially to, um, to, to singularly score and that's it This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is Welcome to Wrexham. 
Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Winarczyk has misjudged it and Lineker has a hat trick. 35 minutes gone, 35 minutes in which Gary Lineker has etched his trademark on the 1986 World Cup finals. Balak, little chip ball, closer to Chase, closer as well the goalkeeper. One of the other things that we were talking about on the way here, because it's a long way out for us, Jack and I, to come all the way to see, you know, these preen superstars in, in Rafa and, and James. But we do it because we have to be here amongst, amongst greatness. <laughs> oh. um, is we had a long... We had a long carry on. Yeah, carry on. Yeah. <laughs> it sounded good, didn't it? Um, long taxi journey. And we were, we were trying to work out, right, okay, who was the first to sort of change the the dynamic of that number nine and still be a number nine and Thierry Henry's name came up obviously being a converted winger very famously from Arsene Wenger he saw it in him he wanted to play him down the middle do you think that that was a that was a turning point Jack well uh, yes I mean in the sense that what I, the the process I was talking about earlier about how increasingly players like the the goals for, the goals and speed in the team come from wide players who start wide and yeah. and drive inwards players who might have I don't know played on on the wing in a four four two but play up front um, and you know l- l- there are lots of players in the last sort of ten or twenty years who fit that mold and the, frankly more of them than there are say Harry Kane Benzema Lewandowski they're the ones that which they're the ones who feel like they're dying out a bit um, whereas I think Henri really as a converted winger is perhaps the maybe the start of that process or the start of that process 
you know, at an elite level in England in a way which a lot of people would recognise. But now, it's not that common for someone with some of... On I mean, Henri was obviously incredibly good at it, but it's not that uncommon for someone with some of those, the attributes that Henri had to become, you know, to start off in wide areas and then to become the team's main goal scorer. I think the interesting thing with Henri, which now sounds totally banal, is that simply he was an inverted winger, really. Right, exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, exactly. A false winger. <laughs> the, he started on the left because then he could score more goals rather than go to the byline. And then that became the blueprint for the next generation of Jovinos. Iron Robin and Mohamed Salah. Whereas, let's say United, if Ryan Giggs would have been played more on the right because he was left-sided, yeah. wasn't he? Yeah. We might have seen that from him, but the idea at the time was we have two strikers. We don't need another guy moving into the middle. We need somebody to move out wide. So there was just, just a different thinking. Um, but I think that that's kind of a separate, almost a separate discussion. That is, a, that is to do, I think, with where the spaces are, how to evade the man marking. I think Henri you know, didn't like playing with his back to goal, so he went where... There was no one there. Um, he also needed the pace. So if you play in the last line, there is no way to generate that pace. Whereas if you pick up the ball 25, 30 meters outside the goal, then you can run at defenders. So it was, I think, for him more, he needed to have that position. And then a lot of, a lot of managers saw the value of having a guy like that deployed in that way rather than as a as a striker uh, or on his natural side um, on the wing. But I, I think we, my feeling is we had probably these wide strikers all along. I'm thinking of Karl-Heinz Rummenigge, for example. Um, the Brazilians always had this type of player. Just, I think, Henri with his impact in the Premier League at a time when a lot of people started watching football and sort of became very iconic maybe open the eyes a lot of managers to it and I guess part of of that sort of conversion from wingers into central strikers as they're known almost they're known as central strikers rather than number nines it feels like now is that if you do do it associated with it is often speed he's going to be able to get in behind he's going to be he's going to be there he's going to be able to attack on his own but you have to be able to finish. We've seen it in the past, even using Arsenal as an example, that after Henri's move, there was a big sort of clamour to, to do the same with Theo Walcott. But he never really was able to deliver what Henri was able to do. And that is scoring goals. The most important thing about this whole debate of being a number nine is you have smelling to have of goals. that. Yeah, you have to. It comes back to, you know, smelling of goals, like Richarlison. Mm. You have to be able to do it, which is the greatest skill in football, not everyone has it, do they? No, and I think we've got to be careful when we do have these debates about the number 10 dying out or the classic number nine dying out. They don't die out. It's just players with those specific skill sets who do that job really well. They're actually quite rare. Um, and they don't come along on a kind of manufacturing line, mm. you know, 10 every year. Um, for some, it actually takes time for them to get comfortable in that role and mature and become 
all-round players. Um, no, I, I think you, know, you were just talking about after Henri at Arsenal. You think of uh, not just Walcott, not just Jovinia, but you think of Giroud. Yeah. You know, we've we've spoken about him and, and, and also the kind of contrast between Giroud at the last World Cup and Giroud at this World Cup where he's scoring goals um, and he is not just doing the kind of Stefan Givash, um, I'm just here to basically... Donkey roll. <laughs> <laughs> your terminology Raph we'll do a podcast on that um, in, in the future um, but you know, like you look at Karim Benzema for example um, you know Benzema who had to play at the service of Cristiano Ronaldo uh, and to some extent Gareth Bale at, at, at Real Madrid you know how you know you lack you look at the last four years three or four years and you you, you can see his full potential as a, as a, as a player. Um, and so I, I think, yeah, we, we essentially have to be careful about saying these players are dying out because they're, they're either hidden, they either haven't fulfilled all of their ability and they're just rare. Do you think, do you think, do you think it's just variance which says Europe produced a lot of very, very good number nines in the sort of late 80s, early 90s? You know, uh, Lukaku, Giroud, Benzema, Lewandowski, and then Kane, who was obviously born in, what, 1993. And then really no one until Haaland, who was born in 2000, who also has a kind of a bit of a sense of one-offness about him. I mean, Arsene Wenger always used to say that he thought that modern academies meant that big European clubs just didn't really produce centre-forwards anymore. They were so geared towards midfielders that it just wasn't in their interest to produce a striker, which is why, in so many cases, you'd find big clubs having to go to Latin America to find a, a number nine, whether that was an Aguero or Suarez or Sanchez or whoever. And I just wonder whether... I mean, maybe it's just variance or maybe it's a trend, but clearly... European, you know, the European football ecosystem is not churning out number, you know, very good number nines in the way that it was 10, 20 years ago. And I think that's right. I think it's not so much a question of whether they're dying out, but whether they've been bred out. Because a lot of teams, a lot of academies didn't see the need for this type of players. They wanted more complete players. If you can't run, if you're not very technical, just scoring goals wasn't seen as enough. And I think these guys were just pushed aside and you wouldn't see them then at this level where they can score goals and I think it's really quite a recent sort of move back thanks to the likes of Giroud who a lot of people I think are even now only just starting to to wake up to and think and understand the, the importance of him but in the past I mean I remember Arsenal people saying you know why is this guy up there he, he can't really play football, he's not technical enough, he's very slow, it's not a game. And it just wasn't, I think, seen as, as more important than having more complete, trickier, faster players. So basically, I think what we're saying is it's about being in the right place at the right time, being needed and being wanted and ultimately being able to score goals and that's your job, and that's what people want from you. Closing remarks from each of you very quickly. Uh, Rafa, I'll start with you on, on the number nine. Where are we going with it? I think we're going back towards the number nine, as we all said, and the interesting thing about the World Cup is, even though there are no real revelations about the players, about the teams anymore, you know them, you've seen them, it still, in a strange way, acts as a bellwether 
for what happens and people kind of mm. take their guidance from that. The fact that Spain won that way was probably more important than Barcelona winning that way. Millions and millions of people see it and think, okay, we can also do that. And look, you can win the World Cup, you can win the Euro. So if we see a big number nine like Richarlison taking Brazil all the way, people thinking, okay, Richarlison... I've seen him at Spurs, I've seen him at Everton, not the most skillful of players, but look at the impact he has. Same for Giroud. So maybe that is the way to go. So I think because we see the renaissance of the number nines at the World Cup, that's going to have, at least in the, in the medium and short term, a knock-on effect on club football as well. In what Raf was saying about the World Cup being a trendsetter, um, I can't wait for people to follow Didier Deschamps' brief, which is to play a striker, Antoine Griezmann, as a deep-lying playmaker. This is going to be the new trend. We're going to see Harry Kane finish his career not just as number 10, but as a PLO-style regista. Um, that's what's going to happen. So I can't wait for the future. Let it happen now. Let it become the present. Well, the, the funny thing about Griezmann in this conversation is that even nowadays people associate Giroud as being the guy who's there to get the best out of Mbappe. But I'm pretty sure at Euro 2016, Giroud was the guy who was there to get the best out of Griezmann. And the two of them would basically play up front. And that was what, what Giroud would do. And Giroud's so interesting because Giroud is basically the ultimate example of the benefits of having a selfless, team-oriented number nine. And this brings us back to the conversation we were having earlier about how increasingly the goals and pace and along with that, the kind of like the excitement and star quality of a team increasingly comes from wide areas, whether that's Bale or Salah or, who, or Neymar or whoever. Um, that means... I think that every single team who plays like that and who has that kind of player out come, cutting in from out wide and scoring all their goals is always better off with the, at least the option of having a guy like Giroud in the middle. Every club team in the world would love to have a, someone like Giroud as a plan, at the very least as a plan B. And I think that's also true of international football. Gents, thank you very much. Enjoyed that. It's been a good debate. Rafa, James and Jack. Um, we will be back tomorrow. We will be wrapping up the final two round of 16 games. And if you want to follow all of the coverage on The Athletic, head to theathletic.com forward slash football pod, where you can now get our latest offer, which is £9 or $9 a month for 12 months. No, it's not. I'm only joking. It's just because we've been doing a show about number nines. It's actually £2 or $2 a month for the next 12 months. We'll catch you tomorrow. Take care. The Athletic. 